Parker. Bloody silly name that is, Beatles, Richards said. How corny can you get? For the life of him, George couldn't figure out how they would even go about marketing them. Was it going to be John Lennon and the Beatles, or Paul McCartney and the Beatles? George wondered. When they arrived at Abbey Road, Richards made his way to the studio while George occupied himself in the canteen. Let Ron, his more than capable assistant, handle the session. Ron fancied himself as Parlophone's resident rock-and-roll man, after all. It's not like George was missing out on some groundbreaking moment in the presence of the next Elvis, as Brian Epstein had boasted back in February. Besides, EMI was incurring all of the session and production costs, which would never hit George's Parlophone budget. And what was the Beatles' contract worth, anyway? It was a penny-per-record deal, no great investment on EMI's part. As Brian eagerly scanned the agreement in May, George knew something that the novice manager probably hadn't fully grasped. The Beatles' contract called for recording a mere six sides. Nothing more, nothing less. How long really would it take to knock off a half-dozen measly songs, anyway? A few wasted hours, at most. And that's when tape operator Chris Neal found George in the canteen, telling him that he was wanted in the studio. Apparently, the Beatles had already caused quite a stir around Abbey Road. "'Good God, what have we got here?' balance engineer Norman Smith had muttered to himself when the bandmates ambled into Studio Two. Their equipment was so ratty and tattered that Abbey Road's white-coated personnel had to rig up a series of workarounds just to get the session started. As Richards and Smith stared in wonder, verging on outright disgust, the Beatles had ripped off a cover version of Besame Mucho before playing a composition of their own called, of all things, Love Me Do. When did beat bands begin writing their own tunes, especially beat bands from Liverpool? Moments later, George made the scene, joining his EMI colleagues in the control room above the studio floor. There they were, standing before him for the very first time. Twenty-one-year-old John Lennon on rhythm guitar, nineteen-year-old Paul McCartney on bass, nineteen-year-old George Harrison on lead guitar, and twenty-year-old Pete Best on drums. As George looked on, the band played two more original compositions called P.S. I Love You and Ask Me Why. With four songs under their belts, the band members joined George and his team up in the control room. Without saying a word, the lanky ex-Navy man commanded their full attention. Towering over them in his neat, well-pressed suit, George looked for all intents and purposes like pure upper-crust London to these rural, north-country scousers from Liverpool. And when he opened his mouth, George spoke with a posh accent to boot. He couldn't have been any more intimidating if he tried. As the boys fired up their cigarettes, George took the floor, and for the next twenty minutes he lectured his much younger charges, mercilessly critiquing nearly every aspect of their performance, from the slipshod nature of their vocal delivery to their sloppy musicianship. He even took issue with the way John Lennon played his harmonica during Love Me Do. Eventually, the veteran A&R man brought his lengthy, scathingly candid diatribe to an end, and he actually began to feel sorry for the Beatles, having railed against them for so long. "'Look, I've laid into you for quite a time, and you haven't responded,' said George, as the group members waited quietly before him in the control room. 
Is there anything that you don't like? For a moment the four beetles glanced back and forth at one another, nervously shuffling their feet. After giving Martin a hard, lingering stare, guitarist George Harrison retorted, in perfect deadpan, Well, for a start, I don't like your tie. After an awkward moment, everyone in the room, which had lapsed into an unearthly silence, erupted with laughter. As the tension briskly evaporated, everyone was in on the hilarity, with George joining the Beatles in a moment of uproarious merriment. Later, after the band had left the studio for the evening, George remained in the control room with his parlophone brain trust, trying to make sense of what they had just witnessed. Norman spoke up first, saying, Phew, what do you think of that lot, then?' In his mind, George had already decided that they were rotten composers and that their own stuff wasn't any good. Yet, sitting there with Richards and Smith, Martin admitted to his colleagues...